0: Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Glad you could join us for the Big Red Bench on this Sunday evening. Busy show coming in between now and 7 pm. Reaction to come from Ireland's defeat to France in the Six Nations. Disappointing afternoon in Dublin but we'll hear from Moss Finn former Ireland and Munster star. he'll be discussing the game with us in just a bit and we'll be hearing uh, from Andy Farrell as well we're also going to be talking snooker on the show tonight the Welsh Open kicking off tomorrow so we're talking to Cork's Aaron Hill who is in action this week the All-Irish first round clashes for Agla coming up this week also going to talk football with Steve and BD as he returns to Cork City and his plans for the season and his goals for Cork City in the First Division you're listening to The Big Red Bench on Corks Red FM. if you'd like to get in touch 0868104106 is the number to text or to WhatsApp uh, we're going to kick off at the Aviva Stadium Ireland have lost their uh, opening six nations two Six Nations games uh, for the very first time to go all the way back to 1998 when it was the Five Nations uh, for Ireland to have lost their opening two games but watching the
2: game for us today was Neil Tracy Ireland 13 France 15 for the second week in a row Ireland are left beaten and bruised this time by a French side who are victorious in Dublin for the first time in 10 years. Ireland dominated the bulk of the first half, but one moment of French brilliance saw them lead 10-3 at the break. Number eight, Charles Olivon, finished a stunning team try going from touchline to touchline. Jalibert converted and added a penalty before half-time. France dominated the early stages of the second half and they deservedly got their second try on 55 minutes. Beautiful work again from Jalibert and Bryce Doolan put Damien Penneau over in the corner for a try. Out of nothing though, Ireland got a lifeline a couple of minutes later. Ronan Kelher pounced on a spilled ball to run in for his maiden test try, converted by Ross Byrne to make it 15-10. They were looking rejuvenated and closed the gap to two points with a quarter of an hour to play as Byrne kicked a long range penalty, but France played smart rugby in the closing stages, keeping Ireland pinned back at the halfway line. Two wins from two for the Grand Slam favourites France, but Ireland beaten again with even more challenges to come. It's finished here, Ireland 13, France 15. Yeah, a lot of questions following that Ireland
1: performance. I'll put them to Moss Finn in just a bit. He'll be joining us on the line very very shortly indeed uh, now the reaction uh, from the Ireland camp this is Andy Farrell speaking to Virgin Media directly after the game
3: yeah they did they did um, I thought it was a, an evenly a contested game certainly within that first half I thought we managed the game pretty well and uh, you know I think quite a number of things within our, our grass was um, was going to plan um, I was unlucky to well, when I say unlucky, we had a chance in the first half, didn't we? Probably should have gone into the in, into the sheds at half time in, in the lead, but I thought we managed the first half pretty well. I thought the, the third quarter, uh, I thought we just lost our way a little bit as far as game management, and I suppose that got them back in the game. We had an opportunity, obviously, to score a try, and we carried the ball another five metres, uh, nice and square, and knocked their defenders off. I think we scored that try. Um, that's the that's the one glowing opportunity, isn't it? But that's that's what Test match rugby's all about. What are the
4: regrets from that game?
3: Well not taking your opportunities obviously. Um, yeah, I think sometimes we um you know we can overplay in the middle third sometimes and taking our energy out of our lads and out of our forwards and uh, yeah I suppose that's why you get what you get towards the end of the game there regarding um, our carry. You know there was going into a blue wall weren't there at the times? Um, yeah, in that in in that last two minutes. So our game management uh, needs to needs to be addressed. Well yeah it's, I mean obviously experience you can call it what you want. You know everyone uh, wrote us off during the week and said we'd no chance but we're we're gutted in there, you know. He's, he's, he's one that got away. We had again, we had one opportunity and we didn't take it. What
5: kind of progress do you think the team is making, Andy?
3: Well, we're in there, aren't we, to to, to the death against the side that everyone's um, obviously backing now as, as one of the best sides in the world, etc. You know, we've uh, had a controversial week and we can prepare ourselves for that. But getting over the line is is the key. We uh, especially at home, we, um, we we pride ourselves on winning games here. Well, you don't go into any uh, competition, Sinead, do you, to, um, to, to, to lose any game, you know, and uh, we was proud of the efforts and, and rightly so last week in Wales, you know, a few regrets there and uh, there'll be a few regrets from this one, but, uh, um, you know, I, I suppose with all the controversy and... That's going on this week I think we can be a little bit Proud of ourselves But surely it is One that got away in the end
1: Yeah it's Andy Farrell there Speaking after uh, Today's defeat to France We'll hear more from the Ireland camp later on In the show uh, 13 days now Of a break for Ireland No six nations action Next week Before they face Italy On the uh, 27th of February So a bit of a break For Ireland coming up which is probably needed after a tough uh, couple of weeks uh, for uh, Andy Farrell's side but 15-13 the full-time score at the Viva Stadium today now Arsenal leading Leeds in the Premier League in today's uh, third game uh, of the afternoon Uh, Arsenal uh, leading by four goals to two they were 4-0 up but Leeds have pulled two goals back to make Arsenal uh, a little bit uncomfortable so it'll be interesting to see how that happens but just ten minutes there uh, to go out for at least to rescue something from that game. Elsewhere, Manchester United uh, dropping points today as they were held by West Brom. Dave Eason at the Hawthorns.
0: West Brom won, Manchester United won a point, a well deserved point for the Baggies, but Manchester United could have won it in added time as Harry Maguire's header was pushed against the post, possibly by Sam Johnson. Either way, it was a fine effort from the Manchester United skipper, but the story of the game is early on, United were not uh, at the races at the start and they conceded a goal within 90 seconds and Mumbai, Diagne uh, got themselves level just before the break from a, a hooked effort over his head by Bruno Fernandes. Then the second half was all about Manchester United pushing forward and West playing on the break. United had one cleared off the line, Scott McTominay, Donald Furlong was on the, the line to clear that one away. But DeAnya could have got a second, should have had a second. He was uh, bundled over. Maguire referee said no foul, and David De Gea made a fantastic double save. And then later on, a ball from the right hand side from Pereira begging to be put away, and DeAnya put it over the bar. A lot going on in this one, but it's finished a point apiece. West 1-1, Manchester United won. So
1: United, seven points off the top of the table. Man City having a game in hands as well, so it looks like it's going to be City at a canter to win the league this season. Uh, United, um, Captain Harry Maguire thought he had won a penalty in the second half. The decision was overturned following a review with VAR, and he says it was wrong.
4: Points to the penalty spot, you think there's no chance it's getting overturned, and I was so confident that it was going to be given as a penalty, but it seems like the, the decisions at the moment are going against us
3: but we've got to do more to win the game we
1: can't be relying on VAR on decisions so Sam Allardyce uh, and his West Brom side 12 points from safety still second from bottom with that point uh, he reckons they've got
3: a 1-0 really pleased for the players their application the way they nullified the opposition and then the way they used possession as best they possibly could I said we'd have limited possession but I thought we were excellent on the way we used it today and the amount
0: of chances we created
1: Wolves came from behind to defeat Southampton at St. Mary's today. Richard Newman watching this one.
0: Full time, Southampton 1, Wolverhampton Wanderers 2. Really entertaining match and a genuine game of two halves. A measure of revenge for Wolves after losing to the same team in the FA Cup on Thursday. Southampton dominated the first half and went to goal up through a stunning Danny Ings volley. Catch that one if you can. After the break, the roles were reversed. Ruben Neves converted the penalty after Ryan Bertrand's handles. Then a brilliant individual winner from Pedro Neto. Scoring from a tight angle after a lovely bit of skill, Che Adams put ahead of wife on Hampton late in the match. But it's now six Premier League defeats in a row for Ralph Hart and Hussle's side. It's finished Southampton one, Wolves two.
1: Uh, Wolves boss Nuno Espirito Santo happy with that result, considering that the first half was very tough for
0: us. The momentum changed in the second half. We produced better football. We were more organised. I'm pleased with the reaction and the ability to to reverse the the momentum of the game. So we put it on our side and. And we play
1: good. As Richard Newman mentioned in his reports, it's the sixth defeat in a row for Southampton. Puts a lot of pressure on the boss, on, on the boss, Ralph Hasenhuttle. But he says there have been positives, but more is required.
3: What happened in the last six games it was not always that we were always playing bad. So we had uh, some good moments also. And, but in the end, it's,
1: it's, it's a result we have to take. Liverpool boss Jürgen Klopp, meanwhile, has conceded they won't retain their Premier League title after a 3-1 defeat at Leicester. The champions are now 13 points adrift of leaders Manchester City with 14 top flight games to go. Klopp says they have to work on getting consistency into their displays.
4: First, you have to perform again. The result is always
3: massively related to the performance. And we um, were well, today good enough to win the game, long, long period in the game, but not until the end because of a um, couple of things.
1: Uh, elsewhere, in just under uh, an hour's time, it is Everton and Fulham seven o'clock, the kickoff time for that one at Goodison Park this evening. Elsewhere, Cork City have signed Jack Baxter from Preston North End. The 21 midfielder arrives on loan uh, from Preston. Uh, he arrives on loan from the Championship side until the end of uh, Preston's season. Elsewhere, Cove Ramblers have announced the signing of former City Waterford and Avondale midfielder Dave O'Leary today day. Uh, Two second-half goals from what Edward has seen Celtic beat St. Johnston 2-1 away from home in the Scottish Premiership. They're now 18 points behind the leaders Rangers. In tennis, men's top seed and the reigning champion Novak Djokovic is through to the Australian Open quarterfinals. He beat the 14th seed Minas Rownic three sets to one today. In the women's draw, Serena Williams and Simona Halep are to meet in the last 16 after their respective fourth-round wins. Naomi Osaka is also through after surviving two match points to beat Garbine Magarutha 4-6 i in golf, the American Jordan Spieth will take a two-shot lead into the final round of the Pebble Beach Pro-Am this evening. He's 13 under par in California. The action has just gone underway. Five players sharing second place on 11 under par. And racing was a Punchdown today. The Peter Fy trained the big dog won the feature uh, race of the day, in the punchtown Grand National Trial Handicap Steeplechase, going off the five to two odds on favourite. Right, we are going to talk rugby, and as I mentioned, uh, Moss Fane former Ireland and Munster star, uh, joining us on the line uh, to discuss. Uh, today's game and uh, the uh, the win for France today, 15 points to 13, was how it finished at the Aviva Stadium.
6: It was disappointing because we we were scrappy, we we, we sort of shot ourselves in the foot a lot of the time but, uh, you know, the, the better team won on the day but that's not to say that we didn't have our chances and that we could have won but definitely the better team with the better players won on the day.
1: Where was Ireland's biggest downfall today do you think?
6: I think we seem to lack... Strategy and um, cohesion on, under Farrell, uh, the new guy. When we played under Joe Smith, everybody, uh, you know, we, we just criticised Joe Smith for being too regimental. But um, under Farrell, we don't seem to have any plan and players are supposed to be spontaneous and all that. But uh, I don't think we have the quality of player on the pitch to, to, to be that. So I, I think we were a little bit disjointed. And overall, we're, we we didn't have any plan A, or plan B, and we were we were a little bit disjointed, and it manifested in the way we played.
1: Four big players missing for Ireland today as well with Sexton, Murray, O'Mahony, and Ryan. Two hundred nod caps between the four of them. You take them out of any team in the world, you're going to struggle.
6: I couldn't agree more. I mean, James Ryan is probably one of the best second rough forwards in the world. Uh, Peter O'Mahony is a world class back row, and Sexton and Murray have been you know the best half backs certainly in the the British Isles for the last 10 years. So we took the field with, I think, a lack of stewardship off it because I don't think Farrell is as clever as Joe Smith was. And we didn't have any stewardship on it because we possibly put out two halfbacks that were were inexperienced at halfback, number one, and I don't think they'd have the ability that Sexton and Murray would have either. So we lacked direction off the field from our coach and we lacked direction on it. So for us to even challenge France on on the basis that those two things weren't there was a wonderful achievement for for spirit and just basic ability. But when you take four world class players out of an Irish team, you can't um, you can't replace them with great quality. And Ron O'Gara alluded to it there after the game, where he said, "There's a big difference between Ireland's first team and Ireland's second team. The players we're bringing in wouldn't be quite up to par." And what essentially he was saying, what i say he was afraid to say it, was that. Sexton and Murray at this point in time are possibly irreplaceable. We haven't got the quality of people to come in instead of them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, Sexton out with another head injury. Would you be concerned from at this point?
6: Uh, Johnny Sexton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I certainly. Um, and the French kind of use that a bit during the week there to upset him after his time in France and that. But he's playing a long time. But the the, the unfortunate thing is we were spoiled for years there with. Humphreys and O'Gara first, and then O'Gara and Sexton first. We have three absolutely fantastic out-halves. We have nothing after Sexton. So I think he's actually gone over the top, and I would be slightly concerned for him. And I'd love to see him retiring, except mm-hmm. we haven't got anyone to replace him. That is not to say that you know he, he shouldn't possibly call it a day, but at, at this point in time, he's still the best out-half we have. But yes, I would be concerned for him. He's getting too many knocks in the head.
1: Billy Byrne stepping into that ten shirt today. A lot of talk about him last week following his error against Wales. He had a very nervy start missing that penalty early on and didn't really settle into the game.
6: No, you know, one doesn't like to be too critical of a fella starting off but the the mistake is made on the sideline.
1: Mm.
6: I mean, it's a no-brainer that Ross Byrne shouldn't have started in that situation. And when he came in there, you could see he had a far more... He had a settling influence on Ireland when he came in. He's not as good as Johnny Sexton, but he's what I'd call a steady Eddie. He won't miss his touches. He won't miss his tackles. He'll pass at the right time, and he'll kick at the right time. And he he kicked a good goal there, as you saw. And I'd say if he got another chance near the end, he'd have dropped a goal or or kicked a penalty. He's a good, functional, steady out half, and it would have been a far better option than Billy Burns. Why, Farrell persisted with Burns... Um, even why Burns was on the bench last week was I don't understand because Ross Burn is a proven interne- a proven inter-provincial player with Leinster he's kicked over 500 points for them and he'd have been a far more mature replacement for Sexton when push came to shove as was shown today
1: mm. Nine as well today Master. there's a lot of buzz about Craig Casey being like involved in the squad yeah. for the first time uncapped player of course and a lot of buzz about him We surprised that he didn't get run on for the last 10-15 minutes today?
6: Well Ruby is a game of 21 players or 22 players now. You see that. Now. Even Scotland yesterday, they brought on a whole new front to there with 20 minutes to go. France are doing it all the time. I mean, Craig Casey, I've seen him at Munster. He's as good as it gets, in my opinion. Mm. He reminds me of the old Jack Fou there who to play for France. He was a wonderful little dictator. He's telling players where to go. And he's exactly the little general that might have helped Bourne and everybody else in the situation today because he's pointing. He's telling fellas, go here, go there. He's kicking there. He's a little boss. And it's the kind of stewardship we lacked at halfback today. I would say that was the worst pair of halfbacks we ever put on in international for a long, long time. Really? If Casey was playing, he might have helped. He would have, he would have given stewardship that we lacked off the field, as I said initially, and on the field because our, our two halfbacks weren't able to to translate our possession in, in the first half. And all in particular, we had a wonderful first half. off. But we kept kicking the ball away and giving it to France. You, you don't kick the ball away; it's hard enough to win it. And there's nothing more tiring for a pack of forwards as they put their head up and they've given a lovely ball back and they end up running back forty yards. Mm. But to, just to reinforce what you said, I, I'd love to have seen Craig Casey come out, coming on. But then it goes back to the stewardship off the field again. Where if they were if they were going to play him, if they were going to pick him as a sub, mm. why were they? Why, why didn't they bring him on? I mean. If that shows a lack of confidence in him, then, you know, if you want to steer it that way. Because I'd love to have
1: seen him play, and I think he would have made a major difference. Is he worth to start against Italy in two weeks' time?
6: Well, Italy is a, is a is a good opportunity for him to start. I'd love to see him start and, and give him a little bit of experience. And then maybe if he had that, they could bring him on the next day in a, in a cameo role again like they should have today. So I would like to see him start the next day. But I. I personally wouldn't like to see Gibson Park and Burns start a match at halfback for Ireland again. To be Mm. (laughs) honest
1: with you. Speaking of Gibson Park, um, the first try that Ireland conceded, Ollivande's try, he stepped up unnecessarily, allowed uh, France in, and you texted me during the game saying Ireland were making small errors, and that was a small error that led to a big score.
6: It did, and and, you know this is the new sort of defence system they're defending from outside in, and he stepped in, and it, it was an error, you know. But I mean, you know, you. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You mm-hmm. know, you can you can tell a fellow so much, you know, but will, will he will he will he heed it? You know, and James Law the same in the second half. Right. Like he he stepped in, and but they, they were two. You know, like Law is a great attacking player, and he's got a great left hoof in him, but he's a he's a poor defender. Gibson Park was wouldn't be used to that situation. Was he wouldn't be defending in a white position very much. So I wouldn't be too critical of him for that. But yes, he did make an error, and it was seven points.
1: And from an attack point of view as well today Moss Ireland looked very predictable not a lot of imagination seeing a lot of criticism going my Katz the forward coach is away uh, today online after the game
6: Yeah my, my cat like wonderful player with England and that and you know but I would have expected more from him. I thought that our attack would have far more cohesion with you know with with, with his influence he was an outside running back like so he mm-hmm. knows a lot about how to make put the ball wide but uh, again, the pivot, the, you know, the, the scrum half and the out half, you've got to set it off in the right areas. And as I say, we've been blessed with, uh, with, with the, what would you say, the axis of Murray, O'Gara, and Sexton. And they always run the ball at the right time. There's a time to run it, and there's a time not to run it, you know, but you can't tell anybody that an out half is born. He, he's not told what to do, he has it innately, and I don't think Bones has that, to be quite honest. With you. And, a lot of the time he released the ball with the wrong time, and when, he, when he perhaps sometimes he kicked it, he possibly should have passed it. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I don't mean to be too critical of a fella like that, but um, we, he's a long way to go before he becomes a sexton or an organic. Right?
1: Yeah, but a lot of pressure on him as well this week. Moss, he was under the microscope, a lot of intense media pressure on him as well. It's, it's got, bound to affect a fella.
6: It's bound to affect a fella, but my attitude is that. That's why I take him. Mm. Ross Bourne has tried and touched he's kicked 500 points for Leinster. He should have started. Maybe give Burns a cameo role again. Bring him in for the last twenty minutes and build up his confidence that way. Starting and maybe after such a fatal error last week, again I would think a lack of stewardship from the sideline.
1: Any positives to take from today, Freemas? Positives, yes,
6: because we played poorly. We were disjointed, and we nearly beat a great French team. With a little bit of luck, we could well have beaten them. So there was definite positives, and going forward, bring in four or five world class Fairs back into that Irish team and we're a match for anyone. They're the positives, I see, and they're the positives we'll have to work on going forward. Mm. Um, like France, um, as O'Gara pointed out there afterwards as well, he, if you rattle France or you stay within a score of them, they get a bit nervy. Yeah. And we did that and, and, and nearly got there, you know. But there was a period where they could have gone 20 points away from us if... if, if if, if the ball had bounced with them, you know. Yeah. but Luckily, it didn't, and there's the positive. We hung in, playing badly, and weren't beaten by much, so you know, with the return, perhaps, of Sexton or Murray or both of them in the next fortnight, it, it might make a difference.
1: And the line looked all right today as well must Paul O'Connor's been brought in as coach, and he seems to be uh, having an effect. He is. It's having,
6: definitely, and the, the like, France were not for two for their first two thrones, and O'Connor would be very good in, in that situation, you know, and I uh, I think it'd probably take time for him maybe to bring his forceful personality into that situation and maybe influence Farrell a little bit more in terms of the overall sort of stewardship of how he thinks the matches should go and structure and that because you know we don't play rugby as naturally as the New Zealanders and all that and like Josh Smith he was us from, from offloading too much in the okay. tackle business we, we didn't grow up with it like Farrell is trying to encourage that and I wonder, is that a good thing at this stage, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. two defeats now for Ireland in the opening two games of the Six Nations. The last time that happened was 1998, when it was the Five Nations. So, I mean, like, that shows you, I suppose, the, the poor start that Ireland have had and the mountain they have to climb, I suppose.
6: And, and you need luck. We didn't have luck now the first time. I thought we did very well against Wales. Um, the sending off was 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 a terrible setback. And we still played well and could have won, you know? And... So it's it's disappointing, certainly. But on another day, we could have beaten Wales, and we could have beaten France. so we're not far away from that, you know. And, and even yesterday, looking like yesterday, like Scotland was a better team, but they were beaten, you know. Mm. So there's a, there's a, there's very much an equalising effect in the northern hemisphere. There's the sort of only average team, or poor team, or Italy. The other teams, there is much between them. It's a bounce of a ball on a day, a sending off on a day, or a you know a yellow card at the wrong time. And, there's not much between us. So we're, we're not far away, but we, we we could be a little bit more clever in our use of our resources.
1: Is it a good thing now? They've got two weeks to kind of reflect and bounce back and kind of take some time in the training field. Or would you rather I, be out next week again?
6: No, no. I, I prefer I prefer to, to sit back and uh, see who see, see who we have available, assess the injuries, and hopefully we might get back. You know, James Ryan as well would be a big loss a big help in leadership. You know, and, and just assess the situation and give Paul O'Connell more of a time to blend in with Farrell and all that and get his point, across, point of view across a little bit more you know, because mm. there is no question or doubt he has made a difference to the line-out and our scrum was also good our primary phases were quite good today just our stewardship from half-back I felt was lacking
1: mm, You just mentioned Wales as well there again uh, two wins for them um, as you say maybe a bit lucky yesterday but you can't argue with nine points in two games
6: no, and and Pivic, their coach, I think he, you know, ex Scarlett's like very clever. Had a great, did very well with Scarlett there for years, and he's a clever guy, you know. He but he bought Salander yesterday. The, the ten came on instead of bigger, and made a huge difference in terms of running. He's got a they, they were just cuter, you know. Um, um, and there at number eight, very clever player. Owens the hooker. they just kind of those world class players. They've been world class for, for Wales for a long time it made the difference when push came to shove near the end you know And I think we possibly lacked a couple of our great men today in that regard
1: Alright Moss pleasure as always talking to you sir and we'll chat you again before the end of the Six Nations great Rory thanks a lot yeah always great chatting to Moss Finn uh, very passionate about the Irish rugby team the former Ireland and Munster Man speaking about today's defeat to France Uh, narrow defeat in the end but Moss uh, saying the France were just simply the better team today going to hear from the Ireland skipper today that was Ian Henderson this is his post-match press conference
4: how are you first
2: of all how was your head
4: yeah good um uh, completed two HIAS uh, so far and passed them both. So we we put we put full trust on every process we have to go through. So hundred percent.
2: Right.
6: And um, just looking at the possession, you had better possession, better territory, conceded
0: fewer penalties. You had your set piece was better. So how did you how did you lose that game?
4: Uh, from from my memory of it, and from and from. Our our quick debrief, we're not taking the opportunities uh, that that are presenting themselves for us. Um, I felt we we were in good positions a lot of the game, and I also felt that uh, more so than France, but France got their opportunities and they took them.
6: So were any of the mistakes that you made today, were they something that you had identified last week and previously,
4: and was it frustrating if you think you made them again? Um, Yeah, probably last week we we didn't have the opportunity when we went... uh, when the opposition went a man down, it was probably the reverse last week. Actually, um, we have to be capitalising there. I said it in the post-match interview. There, in, instead of uh, instead of letting uh, letting them get points, we have to get points in that in that area. We'll, even if it's a penalty, if it's a, if it's a try, that changes the outcome of the game, it changes the outcome of how the second half looks, um, and it changes the way France play. Ultimately yeah, I think changes the whole game. So when we have those opportunities, when we have our man, extra man on the pitch, uh, we have to capitalize there.
6: Ian, do you feel like are you seeing progress? Do you feel like
7: you're
4: making incremental progress? Like you can see you can put you can pull out the line out there if you want, but what are you seeing? Yeah, no, look, we, we're definitely seeing progress. Everyone's striving for it, everyone's working real hard. There's a huge amount of frustration. Um, we, we're definitely seeing guys putting in the time. Everyone's trying their best to 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 produce this progress on the pitch, but but I think it's it's um it's that last couple of inches, it's that, it's that last wee bit um that that we need to see just just push it over the line. It's almost like it's almost like in in rugby, speaking in terms that I know, you get up into the opposition's 22 and and you get up there, and it's those last couple of metres that are actually extremely difficult to get. We're, we're working hard, no one's going to give up with our coaching staff or players to continually push to get this. We've had two games um, this last couple of weeks and both of them, I think, could very, very easily have gone the other way and we would be sitting here have, with a completely different mentality. So um, I'm proud of the work the guys have been putting in and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to working um, together going forward to to see those, those, those strings of... Uh, um, hard work coming together. Could you talk a bit about what it was like to captain Ireland? Look, um, all, all the, the clichés spring to mind and they're genuine. I'm so honoured, the privilege. Like, getting a cap for Ireland is was probably, when I was younger, beyond my expectations. And to be able to captain the guys, they're such a great bunch of lads. To represent those lads and all the backroom staff and the coaches was was massive for me and my family. So. Um, Really proud moment for Stitting, We didn't get the result, but um, it will definitely go down and, and definitely my one of my proudest Irish caps.
8: Hi Ian. um could you just talk a bit about the lineout there? I mean, that must be one of the positives that you are looking at, particularly the defensive line out from you guys. Is it too simplistic to say that that's Paul O'Connell's influence, or is it? he
4: has been a huge driver. Um, the guys, the guys who who are in working with us who you don't see today, the guys like probably um, Alton um, although he did come on there, Alton, guys like Ryan Baird have been camp um, constantly prepping us Pete was in camp at the start of the week prepping us um, uh, James Ryan also constantly prepping us those guys are putting the effort in so that the likes of Reece, um Tag, myself, see those benefits on the pitch, but it's, it's a huge amount of effort that goes in off-field to to get those results um, and we probably wouldn't be able to do it without everyone's effort. Paulie's been huge for us, he's been massive, he's been an unbelievable driver in the line-out um, so I would be wrong to say that he wouldn't have, have input in it as well, he's been class and, and he's he's brilliant for the lads, the lads are definitely in the forwards, are loving having him in. and, the, and the, attention to detail that he brings, along with, with the, the passion. And, and obviously everyone looks up to Polly. so his words carry a lot of weight. And, and, and I think in the forward pack we can say we're, we are seeing glimpses of them coming through.
8: It, it seems to me from from being up in the stands that um, it was very quiet out there in the pitch. Like There wasn't an awful lot of talking. Like, you would have heard maybe from Hugo Keane and, and James Lowe, you would have heard from them most. But it seems to be a bit, a bit quiet out there, like... Um, Know is that something like you know who who were the guys out there from your side of things that were kind of making the calls and trying to encourage everybody as the the game was going on?
4: Yeah, well, amongst the the pack, there's definitely a lot of micro chat. There's um, we like to 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 keep ourselves cool, we don't like to be firing ourselves up too much. So, we have if you look if you when you watch back, you'll see a lot of small discussions going on amongst each other. i can tell you the nines are definitely bossing us around the pitch they're definitely telling us where they need us to be Um the backfield cover the, the reason you'll hear those guys more is because they're they're chasing um um balls and and, and a, f- a fair bit more spread out but the guys in close there's definitely a lot of chatter there Um maybe that is something well in when we go back and review it something we've got to we've got to fix, uh, fix up and work out but um the the nines the, the and the tens same the amount of direction they're giving the guys around the pitch it, it is good
8: and you know it's strange position to be in like uh, in recent years losing their first two games in six nations but you know what's the talk I'm easy from you guys you know like uh, you know what what can you do to salvage this championship what's going to be a win now at this stage
4: ultimately we've got three games left our backs are against the wall we we have to pull out performances for for not only the next game but the next three games so. We've got a week now to go away, recover, review, make sure that when we come into our next match week, we're ready to make all the fix-ups that we see possible. Um, If if there's anything that needs changed, irrespective of where it is across the board, this week and next week's training have to be able to fix those.
9: Sorry guys, we have to finish up there.
4: Okay. Yeah,
1: that's Ian Henderson there speaking after uh, today's defeat to France in his post-match press conference. Um, sounding a bit down, understandably, following the defeat. Uh, but uh, two weeks now for Ireland uh, on the training pitch, as Ian was mentioning, uh, to get back up to speed and and uh, get ready for that Italy game. Right, still to come on the show, we are going to talk snooker with Aaron Hill. but up next, we're, we're talking to Cork City, Stephen Beebe.
0: The big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.
1: My right, full time from the Emirates. Arsenal have beaten Leeds. Joe Rossom.
8: Arsenal 4, Leeds United 2, Arsenal get a Premier League win at the third time of asking but boy did they have to work hard for it in the end uh, it was an end to end encounter Arsenal were 4-0 up at one stage, Pierre-Emerick Kabamian getting his hat-trick, a first in an Arsenal shirt, the first goal with a superb striker's finish as he skipped into the penalty area and sent the shot into the bottom right hand corner, the second a penalty after Leeds goalkeeper Ilian. Meslier fouled Bakaya Saka after he made a real mess of a pass back. Aubameyang stepped up to take the spot kick and fired it into the top right-hand corner. And the third header at the start of the second half. Hector Bellerin got the other Arsenal goal, but this lead side don't ever give up. And they put in a real fight after falling four behind. Pascal Strike getting a first goal back after a corner from the far side of the field. The big central defender heading past Bert Leno. And substitute Helder Costa giving Leeds more of a lifeline here after the ball was pulled back to him in the penalty area past the German goalkeeper and despite it being end to end in the final quarter and our Leeds had chances, so did Arsenal, the goal scoring was finished. Arsenal move up into the top half of the table, it finishes here at the Emirates, a fantastic game Arsenal 4, Leeds United 2
1: It's Everton and Fulham at 7, Shane Pennington.
0: Everton boss Carlo Ancelotti makes 4 changes from the side to beat Tottenham here 5-4 on Wednesday Mason Holgate, Seamus Coleman, Andre Go- Gomez and Hames Rodriguez all start. They replace Jerry Mina, Michael Keane, Alex Awobe and Dominic Calvert Lewin. Whilst for Fulham, Scott Parker makes two changes from the side that drew 0 0 with West Ham last Saturday. Ola Aina and Josh Madger both start. They replace Anthony Robinson and Ivan Cavallero. At Goodison Park, it's Everton and Fulham.
1: All right. We're going to talk football now. And of course, Cork City back in action on the 26th of March as they kick out their first division campaign against Cove Ramblers. What's going to be an incredibly competitive first division campaign. Stephen Beattie is back after uh, signing back uh, from Chattanooga Red Wolves. He's been uh, catching up with Cullum.
7: Yeah, so he's back at Cork City after, I suppose, a two-year break. Stephen Beattie, winner of two FAI Cups of a League and Cup Dublin 2017 with Cork City. Big, big part of Cork City success in the John Caulfield era. Headed off to the United States, back to Ireland, and there was only one club beats that you wanted to come back to, wasn't there?
10: There was only club, Colin, yeah, you're dead right. Um, ah, look, I was always on the agenda if I, uh, if I was to come home. it was to come back here, never mind. Premier League, First Division, it just wouldn't have felt right sign anywhere else.
8: And
10: as everyone knows, there's a couple of offers from other places. And you know, I just, as I said, it wouldn't have felt right, and the heart wouldn't have been in it. So, just happy to be back and happy to contribute. And train away now with the lads, meeting the new lads, and obviously the younger lads. It's great, kind of mix now at the moment. So, just excited to get going now when the season finally starts.
7: Um, I suppose it's a lot different from when you were at Cork City previously. Um, since you left two years ago, there's been a lot of changes. Most of the players are gone. It's a younger bunch of players. Um, there's been a couple of managers since Neil Fenn has come and gone. Um, Colin Healy's in now. John Cotter is there as well. And it's a whole different setup, really. But I suppose it's, it's a new challenge for you as well, isn't it?
10: Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's a it's an absolutely new setup. It's a new challenge. And um, you know, I only really knew Garot Morrissey. Nuts that are still there. Um, I mean, for the younger lads, Alec Byrne, King Coleman, they were just at the fringes of the first team when I was first here. But the challenge that I'm excited about, you know, at this stage of my career, you know, let's be honest, the career's coming to an end. So, to kind of transition to help the younger lads, from my experience, with Grove's experience, it's going to be vital this year, especially, you know. Um, games are going to be tough and fast in the first division, and kind of, you need that experience and the level head to kind of calm things down towards the end of games. and whether you need to push on or hold on to the ball, it's kind of gonna be up to the older lads to kinda of help the help the younger lads adjust. But you know, I think with Colin and Cotts there, obviously I played with Colin Healy 2015 yeah. and you know, in sixteen, then he came on in the club finally it was unbelievable. We all know the pedigree of player he was, but just as a manager and the coach a little bit I worked with him like, you know, I've a fantastic relationship with him, so professional. He's, like myself, entered to, to win and obviously John Cotter was there with, with John Caulfield and Costs is unbelievable on the training ground, like you know the stuff that people don't see. Um, fantastic training sessions and stuff, and even the three weeks that I've been here, I can see the level of the team improving slowly. And I think that's down to the staff, you know, as well as the hungry the hunger of the players that he's brought in.
7: Uh, that was a kind of even noticeable at the end of last season. Now you wouldn't have seen it because you were you were away beats. But at the end of last season, when Colin Healy came in um, after Neil Fenn and took over the team just for the last few games of the season, there was a real um, kind of an intensity in the players. There was a real fight in the team, and that's something that Colin always instilled as a player himself. And I'd imagine it's something he instills as a manager as well.
10: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's the first thing. Like you have to instill, you know. Like I was actually following all the games last year and to watch League of Ireland. Like, and you could see kind of halfway through games and. Like, you know, halfway through the season, before Colin got there, it was kind of, like, I remember Cork City going out, and, you know, no matter what, you're winning the game, and I've seen halfway through games where they're kind of, like, going through the motions and stuff, and, you know, the relegation wasn't a fluke, at the end of the day, the club was, they deserved to go down, like, you know, the, the table doesn't lie. Then for the last three or four games, when Colin did come in, you could see the lads were up for it, they were, they were a bit more kind of enthusiastic, I suppose, the word, and you know, Colin kind of just gets that respect straight away from his playing career and the way he played the game. Um, for me, like even when I started training with him, when I first moved to city, like I didn't want to mis- make a mistake because it was Colin Healy. You know what I mean? I, I didn't want to kind of embarrass myself. And I hope all the lads have that attitude now as well, where you're going to have this this massive figure as your gaffer. You know, and I think it's just a perfect fit for him to be in there right now. His first kind of full coaching role and. I think he's relishing it and I think with Cot's beside him it's a, it's a good team and obviously with my experience and like old experience now we keep going on about it but it's up to us then from the top to the bottom to filter it all through and, and make it work for the year and at the end of the day we're going to have to try, try our best to get back up.
7: It is because like there was kind of a lack of maybe fight in some of the games in the early part of last season and teams were rolling over Cork City at Turner's Cross when you wouldn't expect to see that. And that wasn't something that you'd have ever had in your time when you were at City Beats. I mean, it was, it was like it became a habit of just winning for Cork City. You were winning all around you. Um, so is that something you'll kind of try and kind of drill into the younger players as well? Said lads, we're Cork City. This is Turner's Cross. This is our patch. We can't be losing matches here.
10: Oh, it's, it's, it just boils down, comes to standards, Uh standards on the training ground, standards off the pitch. I think the standards dropped, uh, you know, within the club, um, you know, whether it was players, whether it was personnel, I think it was just, it got a bit rotten, like, you know, and, um, as you said, we were used to going out, and bear in mind, we had a fantastic team, you can't, you can't look past that. But at the same time, I was only talking to someone about it the other day, the training games, the possession, the passing, everything was just done to perfection. You know, if you let if you let a bad pass go or you gave someone a bad pass, like, these are all mates with an unbelievable dressing room, but you get absolutely slaughtered. Um, and I, I've tried to bring that in now straight away where it's like, you have to have the top standards to be a top player, you know. You have to have them standards with yourself, with others, help hold people accountable. And I've been telling the young lads, like, you know, you're, these might be mates, but like, at the end of the day, it's a job. You're trying to make a career out of it. So if you have to let someone know that they need up their standards, like, so be it. And like, again, I've told the lads, like, like rip me if I'm not doing my job if I'm not training well you know have a go at me like you know I'd appreciate that more than no one's saying anything so it's a, it's definitely a learning curve for the younger lads you know I think the biggest problem is now with just communication the boys are quiet enough you know where we need to get that kind of that bite and fight and you know the dirty side of the game back and, and as I said as you said may make, make caught a, a team to beat and, and turn us across the fortress again and you know not just turn us across we go on the road it's, it's to win games it's not just It's not just there to make up the numbers and sneak a draw. We're there to win games and get the club back
7: big time and I suppose it's different in the sense of it's the First Division beats it's not something you were used to either, it was Premier Division, it was top of the Premier Division it was. It became a habit every year to go to the Aviva to the Cup Final for four or five years in a row um, so the First Division is going to be a lot different but it's a very high standard of First Division this season as well because even the First Division last season, it was really competitive with the teams that were there right down to the last game of the season, there was five or six teams who could have made the playoffs and this year then you throw Cork City into the mix you throw Shelburne into the mix, Siouxsou a lot of good players. John Caulfield has put together a great squad at Galway. You have teams like Bray, UCD, Cove. I mean, it's going to be very tough, and it's going to be very competitive, isn't it?
10: Oh, absolutely. I mean, arguably the most competitive, you know, first division there has been. Um, as the, the teams you just mentioned, like you know, before I sign back, you, you kind of see lads sign, and you don't really look at the full team on paper. Then when you actually sit down and look at the likes of, of Galway, the likes of Bray, as you said and obviously Shells, you know, it's going to be, it's very decent, but again, it's still, I'll be honest with you, it's still a bit of a shock to me that it is the first division that we're playing in, you know, and I tried to explain to people like, that wouldn't be weirdly around like, making the states like how big the club Cork City is, and trying to, doing an, an equivalent of like, Man United winning the league in 17, and being the best team in the country, to suddenly you're playing the first division, but at the end of the day, it is what it is now, and, and it's up to us to get us back, and the players on, and the staff is, you know, it's just, Kind of get back up there and forget about the last year or two.
7: And I'm sure you're looking forward to getting back on the pitch and turn this cross. I mean, yourself with the Cork City fans developed a great relationship. Now it's unlikely; it's it's it won't happen that the fans will be there for the opening games of the season. But I'm sure you're hoping the fans get back as soon as possible.
10: Ah, yes, it's no secret about the relationship I have with the fans. It's uh, it's well known around the place. But oh, I've always said from when I first got here, you have to wear your heart on your sleeve playing for this club. You know, it's a. Uh, you give everything, hundred percent. You know, hundred percent every single game. Don't leave anything out there, and the fans will take you you know. Even if you're from Dublin, <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah, they let mean? you away without a reach. But like, genuinely, it is just. And again, I'd be saying to the players, like, I think the, the teams kind of lost their way the last year or two. Like, it was just, it was just playing for a club. It wasn't really. I could see the pride was kind of gone in the shirt, you know. But if I have to bring that back now and. The rest of the boys had to bring that back. Where it, you know it's a massive privilege to play for this club, this city. Like people are absolute diehards for the football club, and as you see, like players come and go, but the fans will always be around. Even if it's the first division now, you still see the like me social media when I sign back and stuff like that. You wouldn't get that anywhere in the country. so no.
7: yeah.
10: of course now, to, as I said, when fans finally hopefully get back in as soon as possible, on a show. And you know, I know it was very disappointing for everyone involved the club the last couple of years, especially last year going down, but. You no, know, hopefully you can start bringing slowly but surely the good times back to turners cross and to cork.
7: So preseason started. Uh, was it? Was it two weeks ago? Now you're into it. Oh, geez, it feels like about two months. Ago. It was two ago. Uh, <laughs> How's it going? Yeah,
10: I, think it was two, I think it's three weeks. Actually.
7: Yeah. How's it going?
10: going oh, good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's tough. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but it's great. Like you know, we're in double sessions, we'll being on the pitch in the morning, the gym in the afternoon. And um, you know, they're not too long sessions. You know, so it's you're in straight away, you're getting your stuff done, you know, getting quality sessions in rather than dragging them on. And I think as I said earlier, you can see development only in the three weeks of, of the lads definitely coming out of their shells. and standard wise, you know, the first week or two you've got the excuse where lads are rusty but now it's it's full pelt, you know, and the lads are looking well hopefully touch wood we can get one or two more experienced bodies in and, and kick on them. I just wanna start the games now to be honest with you. I've uh, built myself back up fitness-wise and training and that, but you just can't beat games, whether it's a friendly or, or a competitive game. So counting down the days to whenever that happens.
7: How long is it since you've played a competitive game, Beats? When was your last game over with Chattanooga in the States?
10: Um, I was about ooh, October. Similar so, to the uh, end of the season yeah. here, so yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm using the rusty excuse as well, like everyone else. <laughs> so, uh, we're starting to run out of excuses, but yeah, I just have to get... Get back game fit, you know. No matter what training you do, you can't replicate games no matter how hard you try. And match fitness is the most important part of staying fit for the whole year. I know I've had me injury issues and all, but so far so good in pre-season. I'm training away and, and I feel good and strong. And, you know, with the age isn't even a factor for me. I'm still run around and juggling the tackles like a young lad I was when I was first here at (laughs) 25. Only about six or seven
7: weeks away for kick-off of the new season, 26th of March in Turner's Cross, and hopefully we'll have the fans back there uh, sooner rather than later in the season as well. Stephen Beattie, thanks for chatting to us, and uh, we'll chat to you again closer to the start of the season, all right?
10: Colin thanks really for your time. Appreciate it as
1: always. Yeah, fantastic to hear uh, Stephen Beattie there chatting to Colin ahead of the start of the new season, kicking off on the 26th of March against co-ramblers at turns cross. it's going to be an absolutely cracking way to kick off the first division campaign now we're going to talk snooker and the Welsh Open kicks off tomorrow we've been catching up with one of Ireland's brightest prospects that is Aaron Hill the Cork teenager is in Wales for an all Irish first round clash against Fergal O'Brien Ryan caught up with Aaron during the week ahead of the tournament
9: so I'm joined on the line now by Aaron Hill he's one of Ireland's youngest and brightest snooker prospects and he's a Cork man as well which never hurts how are you Aaron?
5: Very good, Ryan. How are you?
9: Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Glad to have you on the show. Aaron, just to kick off, uh, just how has life been for you kind of during this pandemic and I suppose in a wider sense? Have you been getting much table time in with the snooker?
5: Um, yeah, I've been playing through the whole uh, lockdown because I have a table at home, so it's handy for me. Uh, I have no issues of, I have no worries of trying to get into a club or I have a table at home, so it's handy. Uh, it's been good to be able to get practice in for the tournaments there's been a lot of tournaments uh, the last couple of months so if I did not my table at home I'd be, uh, be lost without it
9: Might be a massive advantage to you. obviously no clubs open at the minute are you practising on your own or have you got uh, someone you live with are, they, are you playing against someone or is it just just uh, training by
5: yourself? It's mostly by myself and uh, I come to England a couple of days before my tournaments and get practising with a few of the pros so yeah it works out well
9: you uh, you made a few headlines for yourself and kind of put Cork on the map in the snooker terms last September. You beat Ronnie in the uh, the last sixty four of the European Masters. Can you tell me a bit about that, Aaron? How did that feel?
5: Uh, it was incredible. The the buzz and the feeling when I when I beat him and when I came back home, it only kicked in when I came back home. All my family and friends and I've, I've been even noticed walking down the street and that it was just it was oh. all surreal. Uh, it's still being talked about a lot back home, and I'm sure it will be for another long time.
9: Absolutely, of course. Like in, in terms of, I suppose the the spectacle of beating Ronnie, you made international headlines. To you know in terms of of snooker and a last sixteen then uh, finish in that European Masters, a hugely a, a proud achievement.
5: Yeah, I was very proud of myself at uh, Ronnie. i we considered it as my first pro event but. I know what I'm capable of and when the, I know the game is there but it's just a matter of producing this consistently all the time. Uh but I'm sure I'll I'll be able to perform that once I get used to it more and adapt to the condition, conditions more. It's only my first season, so looking forward now look for more tournaments and next season and that.
9: Absolutely. Just on the Ronnie game, Aaron, how are the nerves going into that? Obviously Ronnie won of the the uh, the stalwart players like the one of the veteran kind of uh, names of the sports do you know Like, are you kind of sitting there before the first frame kind of thinking oh god or are you, are you cool and calm and collected
5: um, I was fairly cool and calm and collected uh, I wasn't really nervous at all I was just excited uh, go, I'd go out and have a free go off I had nothing to lose nobody expected me to win but except myself in my head <laughs> I, I believed that, I believed I could win the match and uh, if you don't believe you come in, you're not going to win. So I knew I knew if I could just take every frame as it came and every ball as it came and don't worry about the opponent, I knew I'd, I'd have had a right chance.
9: You probably felt that a bit of an advantage to you, did you? I suppose, like you say, you're going into that game, the massive underdog. You've got nothing to lose. All the pressure, I suppose, is on Ronnie to knock you out. So it kind of turns the game on its head a bit then when you start potting balls. You get a bit of confidence and it just goes from there.
5: Yeah, I love I love being the underdog. I love the challenge of it. Uh when I when I every time I've been underdog, it seems to be I've produced my best looker. <laughs> I was an underdog against Matthew Stevens in the next round I beat him. And it's just when I'm underdog I just feel like I just love the challenge and I play I play I adapt to it well and I play better. Names
9: like uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Matthew Stevens scalps t- for those to take for a teenager is so impressive. You're still only eighteen years old. How has your game been developing? Do you feel like your style is constantly changing over the past year, or how how's your snooker coming along?
5: Yeah, I think I'm grown into a fairly good all-round game now. Uh, I think my game is in good shape. Uh, every, every department is improving. My score and my safety and it's all due to playing better players and playing these comps around these big players learning often
9: Absolutely and current players on the circuit I suppose, is there any that you you look up to or idolise their playing style at all, any names?
5: Yes uh, it has to be Ronnie, I've been watching him since I was a kid almost every night uh, I love watching him, he's just class acting, he's the best man to ever pick up a cue
9: Absolutely, absolutely. I suppose snooker in general, it, it can be a bit tough for youngsters like yourself to to break into to get that tour card and get on the circuit properly. How have you found it as a sport to kind of break into?
5: Um, uh, I, I love it since I've since I've picked up a queue, All I wanted to do was turn professional, and when I got that opportunity last March, I grabbed it with both hands, and I didn't look back. Uh, it's been really exciting since I joined tour since September. And I'm just really excited to see what happens in the future and I know I know what I'm capable of, so hopefully I can make it happen.
9: I suppose Ireland isn't known too well for producing so many kind of elite snooker talents. I suppose Ken Doherty springs to mind nearly straight away and in that same way. As soon as you get wins against Ronnie, get wins against Matthew Stevens, start getting a bit of confidence in your game, you kind of do have a, a Ireland's kind of snooker hopes on your shoulders a bit. How do you feel about that or how do you feel that pressure?
5: It's uh, not really pressure, really. Uh, the support has been incredible because, as you said, it's only kind of been Ken and Well, oh. Fergal as on. Well, but when they see someone like me, just a young flat, coming through and Getting wins like that, of course, the all eyes are going to be on me. and I, I know that, but I don't put too much pressure on myself. Uh, I know they'll be with me in my wins and I know they'll be with me in my losses. So that's, what, uh, that's what the Irish nation is all about. That's
9: it, that's it. Uh, snooker, just in terms of COVID, has been one of the elite sports that thankfully has kind of kept on going in a professional sense. I'm sure you've been watching plenty of it. What do you make of... I suppose the, the lack of crowds and the champion the World Championship being moved to Milton Keynes uh, to, for self-isolation. There's a lot going on there.
5: Yeah, it's been a bit tough for all of us, to be fair. All the players. Uh, everyone wants to play in front of packed crowds. But even you have to travel on your own now. You have to stay on your own. You have to kind of just kind of be on your own all the time when you're there. So it's a bit tough, but it's all grateful to be played. It's better to be playing and not to be playing, I
9: suppose Did that put you off at all the idea of having to travel for your work uh, or, or did you just think well look I've got the table at home for practice and when it's when it's time to go it's time to go
5: I don't mind travelling I, I I like it but it's always better if you can travel with your buddy or family member or something like that but since Covid has started it's only all been on my own so it's tough at times but I'm used to it now so I've I don't mind it.
9: Good stuff. In terms of what's next for yourself, Aaron, what tournaments have you got coming up or what are you preparing for at
5: the minute? I've got the Welsh Open on the 15th of March. Uh, no, on the 15th of February, sorry, this month. Uh, playing the Welsh Open. And it's actually, it's actually in Wales, it's not in the UK. So it feels like we're going to Ibiza. <laughs> got to Wales for a tournament.
9: Oh, you you really summed it up there with comparing Wales to Ibiza. that's where we are in twenty twenty one, Aaron.
5: Yeah, yeah.
9: Uh that's brilliant though. Ten days time, the Welsh Open kicking off. How how do you feel? Do you feel excited for it? Are you pumped in terms Yeah.
5: Of, yeah? yeah, I feel really good. Uh played some good soccer or I was a small bit unlucky yesterday, but sure, that's the way it goes. It's just a ten minute frame, bit of a lottery, but Andy took the ball as well and I had a chance but I kind of rushed but uh, I was very lucky to start for sure until the next one I'm playing well and feel confident so looking forward to get the wins
9: You seem for a youngster and I suppose you need to in the sport of snooker don't you? You have a very calm demeanour about your very level headedness do you think that'll kind of play to your advantage throughout your, your career?
5: Yeah 100% uh, I'm, I'm known for it they've, they've given me the nickname of uh, the breeze, <laughs> cool as a breeze. <laughs> My dad, my dad gave me that a couple of years back. Uh, not in phases as they say.
9: <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. All right, Aaron. Listen, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure chatting to you. Thanks for uh, coming onto the bench this weekend. Best of luck in Wales next uh, next week or the week after. The fifteenth begins. <laughs>
1: the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM that is Aaron the Breeze Hill there speaking about his uh, snooker career and very best of luck to him in the Welsh Open this week going up against Fergal O'Brien in his first round match a very very best of luck indeed uh, to Aaron that's it from us for the Big Red Bench tonight thank you very very much indeed for tuning our way we are back next Saturday and Sunday from 6pm our podcast will be online very very shortly you can get that on redfm.ie and catch up on yesterday's show with Valerie as well redfm.ie or from wherever you get your podcasts from Green On Red with Conor Halpin is up next three hours of the best Irish music coming your way right here on Cork's Red FM follow us on social media at Big Red Bench enjoy the rest of your Valentine's Sunday evening folks hope you're having a good one and we'll talk to you next week
0: Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie Cork's Red FM